Hello, and welcome to Tectonic, the podcast that revolves around the seismic shifts in technology, culture, and the digital age. You're listening to episode number 29. I'm your host, Joe Darnell, and with me is Joshua Pfeiffer. Hi, Joshua. Hey, good evening. I am thoroughly prepared for this week's podcast. Oh, yeah? Do you want to know how? How? Well, I've got one cup of coffee and one cup of vodka. Ah. So we're going to see how it goes. I'm not sure which direction this podcast will go, (laughs) but it will go in one of those directions. Or it'll just crash somewhere in the middle. See, when you (laughs) said you were prepared... I knew it would have to be about a drink. Yeah, well, you know, you didn't want me to, like, review the outline or something, did you? Mm, no, not really. That's <laughs> that's my job, right? I write it and I read it and you just... Uh, I reviewed it. Thank you, man. Every now and then I do like to feel prepared. Yes. It can't hurt to be prepared in more than just the libations. Yeah. So, so wait a minute, vodka, why not the regular bourbon? <laughs> I finished it yesterday, that's why. Oh, okay. Yeah, see, I'm yeah. working on a bourbon here. I really like Clooney. It's, uh, it's my new friend. And we also have a guest with us as usual. The silent man in the room is TJ Draper. How you doing, TJ? I'm doing okay. Not as well as you two. I don't have any alcohol in front of me. I just have water. Wah, wah. Yeah, I wish I had. Now you're making me wish I had something. I, I had a, a strawberry margarita. I had a strawberry <laughs> margarita when I was on vacation last week. It was fantastic. I want one of those. <laughs> yeah, you really do like your mixed cocktails there. Yeah, I'm not much of a uh, vodka kind of guy, but um, not, not, not pure vodka. <laughs> obviously. Well, I have an ice cube in it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that, that makes everything better. It's just, this is perfect. There's an old uh, kids in the hall skit called Girl Drink Drunk. Have you seen this? <laughs> no. I, I almost wanted to say, let's just pause the podcast <laughs> and, and fire this up. Uh, okay, everybody, stop the podcast, go watch the video. We'll put it in the show notes. We'll put the link in the show notes. <laughs> we're, we're bringing new meaning to tech tonic well that's what my parents thought i had in mind yes yes <laughs> i think that joke that's been made i'm not sure oh okay <laughs> is this interesting to the listeners this is what people tune in for I, I think so they brought this up in their comments and okay yeah we'll be talking about that next week so tj what's up uh, what's new with you anything special going on you you're still a web developer right I'm still a web developer. One of the big uh, content management systems that I use, Expression Engine, just came out with version 3, and it's uh, wildly different in many ways, at least for add-on developers. So I've been spending a lot of time with that and feverishly working on some things there. Other than that, nothing really new. I went on vacation uh, you know, around a conference that had to do with Expression Engine 3. <laughs> I took vacation days around it, and, and the, the conference was one day. So that was fun. I spent uh, several days on the Riverwalk in San Antonio with my wife. So that's that's all that's new with me. And okay. That was a lot of fun, so I'm feeling a little more refreshed and ready to take on the world. You know, I'm trying to load a page here at Daring Fireball, and my tab is not cooperating. The whole internet is crashing, man. Oh, dear. Okay, let's open up Safari. I'm loading Daring Fireball on my uh, Google Chrome, and it seems to be working. What are you looking for? I'm looking for the page about a YouTube subscription service. They have the new Red subscription service. What is this about? Uh, if you can help me out here, I still can't get the tab to go. Sure. So the YouTube Red subscription deal, the headline here that John wrote is YouTube to video creators. You'll agree to the Red subscription deal and you'll like it. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, crux of the matter appears to be that YouTube made the video creators an offer they literally couldn't refuse or they'd have their content disappear. YouTube confirmed that any partner creator who earns a cut of ad revenue but doesn't agree to sign its revenue share deal for its new YouTube Red deal ad-free subscription will have their videos hidden from public view on both the ad-supported and ad-free tiers. So that's that's what YouTube Red is apparently. I'll be interested to hear what the guys on Hello Internet think about this because it impacts them, their livelihoods directly. And I imagine that they would be in that top tier that was yeah, influenced in this matter. Mm. It, it doesn't feel right because YouTube belongs to Google and Google makes their money with ad revenue. Yeah, okay. So, so but what doesn't feel right about it to you, Joe? I like it from the perspective of the audience as someone who wants to watch YouTube videos. If I can cut down on ads and I still feel like the content creators are making something from my views, then that's cool. But do we want it to turn into a service like RDO, Pandora, Spotify, where yes, the users pay $10 a month, but the, the musicians are still getting like pennies on the dollar or less. Just make it a couple of pennies for every listen or every 10,000 listens. 
I'm sure that Joshua can also speak to this being a free market guy, but I'm, I'm looking at it from a free market perspective and I'm saying, well, Google certainly has the right to do this and if the content creators don't like it, they'll have to find alternatives. It's, it's Google's business to, to make or, or lose. And if they, if they do things that content creators aren't happy with, they will migrate somewhere else. It may take a while, like, because YouTube is huge and that's basically the only game in town. But if, if Google does stuff that people don't like, then, then it will drive people to other platforms and other ways of doing things. Hmm. I think from a free market perspective, that's where I would come at it from. <laughs> you know me. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I'm crazy about that sort of thing, at least to most people. <laughs> I have heard, you know, and I've not done a whole lot posting videos to YouTube, but from what I hear, you know, they, they are a bit of big brother and how they handle things. So I would love to see a little bit of competition in that space for sure. Yeah. And I think that if, if the content creators aren't happy with us, it will drive competition. It, it, you know, uh, J John uh, Gruber did mention here, most of the content creators are signing the deal, but even if they are, and if they're unhappy, they are going to look for alternatives that, that they just need to sign it for right now to continue going. And I think that there will be alternatives if people are unhappy. From a user pr perspective, I have no intention of paying anything to YouTube. I, I, I'm a casual YouTube user, but it's not like podcast I could see paying a subscription for. And in fact, I paid for Overcast when it came out as a podcast client. I haven't yet, but I intend to support Marco with his uh, ad support or his uh, donor supported version of donor supported. Yes. Yeah. I intend to do that. I haven't yet, but I, it, to me, YouTube is not in that category for me, but I imagine for many people it is. Hmm. I, it's, it's an interesting development. I like the idea. I just think it's kind of odd that it is YouTube. This doesn't sound like their kind of play. So I'll be interested to see if this sort of program is around in a few years because and I could see that if it's not profitable for YouTube, it'll just go by the wayside. Yeah. The other unfortunate thing here, I think, is, is the name. <laughs> YouTube Red, and I saw Dan Benjamin also noted this as well. I don't remember how I accidentally stumbled across something called RedTube and it was quick <laughs> for me to delete that from my history and close that tab and never, never, ever, ever go oh, there again. No. <laughs> so the, the name YouTube Red is quite unfortunate, yes. Ouch. <laughs> so don't, do not visit Do not this Google one. image search that or... No, no, no. And and I can't, I haven't done it, but I can't, I'm, I'm sure maybe Google is doing some safe search stuff on the on the YouTube, like, because a lot of people use Google, <laughs> like they would Google YouTube Red to get to what, to figure stuff out about it. I, I hope they're filtering oh. that sort of thing. It's a very unfortunate name. I don't even know why Google would do it. Yeah, that, that doesn't sound right. Like nothing about it. The only association is that there is red in their logo. And maybe that's what they were thinking about. But that seems like a very poor choice. Yes. It, yes. Well, given given the, the big website that, that uh, does naughty things <laughs> with with a reversal of that. So it's nothing like product red for Apple. Maybe they were trying to bank on some sort of other value that you know, that's spread wide and far in our culture. <laughs> yeah, one has to imagine that's what they were doing, I guess, because product red is a big deal for for Apple, and maybe they're trying to play on that. I know it's not the same thing. They're what just, does what does product red uh, do again? What do they raise money for? They raise money for AIDS research, but it's actually a very small percentage that goes towards that. Well, yeah, I, I, I thought it was AIDS research. I didn't want to bring that up, but uh, it's interesting that the other site is. Propagating the AIDS while, uh, anyways. Yeah, yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. Moving on. Yes. <laughs> so Apple's new mouse and trackpad and keyboard. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. So, well, okay. The next item of side interest here was that Apple came out with a new mouse, trackpad, and keyboard in the past week. And these look pretty interesting to me because I love beautiful aesthetics. I love Apple products. These look really slick. Mm. The Magic Trackpad 2 is fairly larger than the previous version. It has force touch so that you can uh, press and click anywhere on the surface all the way up to the very top, unlike the prior model. And it'll even make a faux clicky sound, even though it's not clicking. Because of the force touch, you're not actually getting any clicking action. Is that going to bother you, TJ, if you're using these one of these days? Uh, so I've had a chance to use the Star Wars touch stuff at, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I've been waiting to make that joke. I, I've had a chance to use the force touch trackpad. This is the trackpad model, JJ Abrams. <laughs> yes. So I've had a chance to use it at the Apple store I've, and, and my boss actually bought a new computer right after they came out. And, and it's interesting. It, I almost feel like because of the, the clicking speaker noise that it makes it's almost louder than my actual mouse or trackpad in a way but and it's weird like so when you use it it doesn't i can't tell any difference between clicking my own trackpad except you can click it anywhere it's very strange that way i don't think it would bother me as long as it works 
So as far as the force touch stuff goes, that's fine. I'm I'm a mouse user though. I don't like I can use a trackpad just fine when I'm out and about in a coffee shop or whatever with my laptop. I I do use my trackpad. I don't carry a mouse around. Uh, and you know we I think all of us could agree that that's because of the high quality of Apple's trackpads. I I couldn't do that with a PC. In fact, my pastor's fairly new and and expensive PCs trackpad feels like garbage. Mm. So Apple's trackpad stuff is good. I'm just more of a mouse user. I'm far more interested in the new keyboard just because the keyboards are my thing. I have three or four different kinds of keyboards here, mostly clicky keyboards, mm. but I wasn't crazy about the last generation of Apple Chiclet keyboard because the keys were, as I would describe them, a little bit squishy. They would teeter-totter this way and that on their their axis, you know, whatever balances them on the inside. Mm. And that squishiness just really nerve right to me. Once it, once I noticed it, once I decided I didn't like it, and I was constantly getting that with every key press, I was not crazy about their keyboard. And I also experienced some RSI issues with the keyboard. I know a lot of people complain that it's the chunky, old-fashioned, clicky keyboards that gave them problems with RSI. Yeah. I felt, I've experienced it the other way around. I can type all day long on this uh, state-of-the-art modern mechanical keyboard I have. So I prefer this over the uh, the chiclet-style models. Yeah, I'm definitely a chiclet user. I, I, but I'm, I'm a full size keyboard kind of guy. I don't like the small Apple like cut off keyboards that don't have the number pad. And and it's I don't even use the number pad that much. But everything just feels off. The ten keyless models. Yeah, everything feels off. I don't know where to position my hands, and I'm always typing on the wrong keys with the smaller keyboards. And I I feel like with with my I have at work and at home I have the uh, you know the full size wired keyboard that Apple makes with chiclet keys, and I can I can type you know a mile a minute on that thing. I think I'm one of the few who considers myself good at typing who doesn't, but I have a new theory about RSI. I think a lot of it has to do with your own motion with your own hands, what you get in the habit of doing, where you rest your palms and how you make key presses, how hard you bang out on the keys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the more you're conscientious about what you do and you make this conscious effort to do something about it. And then if you're experiencing issues, you go and get another keyboard, you get another mouse and you try new things because you're trying new things. You're probably less likely to experience RSI because you're drawing attention, you're focused to it and you're more conscious conscientious about what you're doing with your hands. And I think that because of that, uh, this is just a theory. I'm going to have to dig into this a little bit further because it concerns me. I've had RSI problems off and on, and right now I'm experiencing it in my right hand, but not in my left. And I think that has to do with how I use my mice. So I'm thinking like, do I get another device or do I try to change my habits so that I can, uh, you know, get the pain to go away? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I have not experienced any RSI issues. I'm very careful, though, to make sure that I don't rest my palms in bad ways. I keep everything up like you're supposed to. And even though I know that technically, at least what people say, the ergonomics of the chiclet keyboards aren't great. It's just, I just, that's what I like when I type. So, and I type a lot as a developer. I actually just upgraded this year to the Logitech Solar One, the full keyboard. It's similar to the Apple one, I believe, but, uh, I liked the magicness of the solar pa- uh, poweredness. <laughs> Reading a book on Elon Musk at the time, so I just <laughs> felt inspired to get the, the solar version. But uh, yeah, and I also recently got the old Apple trackpad to use, and I knew as soon as I bought it, they would go ahead and upgrade. And sure enough, they did. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't seem terribly magical, you know. It, you know, it recharges. That's that's the magic. Yeah, I do like the rechargeableness of of the new peripherals. That's very interesting to me. Although I have to say, I'm a little disappointed. Apple didn't. I didn't. Don't feel like Apple cared too much about the Magic Mouse, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, just I like the feel of it, and I like this. You know, the touch scrolling, and those are the really the two things I use. I don't use like you know any of the touch stuff. In fact, I usually go into system preferences and turn that all off. Huh. But I do like just you know scrolling on the surface as opposed to like a you know a scroll button. You know the things that used to like have the little clicky scroll things. I don't like those. But I I feel like Apple didn't put a lot of thought into the charging of the mouse because you have to turn it upside down or on its side or something. And and as John Syracuse said on the Accidental Tech podcast, it's like. Uh, you've harpooned a turtle you yes. turn it up on its side and you've harpooned a turtle so i i'm really not i'm not a fan of of that but i do like the idea that it's rechargeable i don't have to fiddle with the batteries anymore and it just takes a lightning cable which i have plenty around because of my iphone so i certainly like that idea i'm sure you're you're aware you get you get about eight hours worth of use after a 30 second charge so that, that's pretty cool i i and i agree and that that would be just I'll plug it in for 30 seconds i'll go get a yogurt out of the refrigerator at work and i'll come back and and you know my thing will be ready to use for the rest of the day but it's still just kind of weird that they have to turn it upside down to charge it 
I did want to mention about that solar keyboard, Joshua. I think it sounds like you got the model that I got from Logitech, which I had for over a year. It, I, it's just started to get weird. Like I was never happy with the, um, the, the keys always felt too squishy and they, like you were saying, Joshua, but even worse, they would just like move around when you, they just felt kind of squishy. And, and then, uh, re, what was it? One of my keys started typing the wrong thing. Like the wire circuits inside got crossed. I would type a G and it would be a T or something like that. So I had to give it up. <laughs> Interesting. Anyway. I've heard good things about the Logitech keyboards, but I've never used one. I have a lot of their mice and I'm happy with those. I have to use them for doing design work. I cannot get by with any kind of trackpad if I'm trying to use pinpoint accuracy, mm-hmm. you know, hopping from pixel to pixel. This is never going to get done on a trackpad. Yep, I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, we've, we've uh, I think, used up half of our time in our preview. <laughs> we should probably move on to iPhone 6S review. Yeah, well, all of this is going to get edited out in post, right? And then we're going to pick up right now in the show. <laughs> Nobody will ever hear any of this episode. It'll all go away. Oh, okay. Okay. It's just, yeah. it's just, this is just for us. Yes. <laughs> Who are we kidding? <laughs> no, we actually do have a main topic, and we're going to get to it now. Joshua is pushing us in that direction. Hey, you guys used to do like a three-hour podcast. I'm just trying to help thing, help move things along. <laughs> yeah, well, we do believe in this uh, this notion that not every podcast has to be 90 minutes longer longer to be a good show. Eventually, we're going to get these down to about three seconds in length, and we'll call them live podcasts, and then we're going to have a... I literally don't know what's happening right now. Okay, you know what live photos are? I do. Okay, they're three seconds long, right? I get you. I see. Okay, and and how long is a Vine video? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Ten seconds? Eight seconds? I don't know. Pretty sure they're short. Okay. And it drove me crazy how short they were. So, iPhone 6S's... (laughs) How about those new iPhones, huh? Pretty nice. Okay, Joshua, we'll let you have it. Hey, Joshua, what do you have? You want to talk about the iPhone? I would love to talk about the iPhone. Oh, okay. You know, as as I've mentioned on the show, I deserved the iPhone upgrade more than anyone because I had an old iPhone 5, three years old. Oh, wow. So this is a review that has been a long time coming. How did you survive, Joshua? What was it like? I've complained on the show many times. It, it was very painful. Oof. Half a gig of RAM. Six, it was also a 16 gigabyte phone. The Stone Age. So it was a very, very Stone Age. So I was so happy to get my phone last week. The unboxing was unbelievable. I mean, I, I, I got a bottle of wine. I brought it home. I locked myself in my room. <laughs> <laughs> a true story. True story. My wife wanted to be part of it, but she kept making fun of me. So I ended up locking her out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I just wanted just just me and, and my iPhone. And so, yeah, it was, it was great. You, t- you two just needed to be alone, you and your phone. I <laughs> just wanted a little bit of time with her. <laughs> So I stuck with Verizon. You know, I, I'm, I've been on Verizon. I'm pretty happy with them. They're getting cheaper. Got, the, of course, the 64 gig. Went with the Plus model, I think, as, I, as I've mentioned. And, I mean, it's just a beautiful phone. It is giant. I, I don't think that they should really call it an iPhone. I think they should call it a an iPad Nano. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it definitely feels more like an iPad, rather, than an iPhone. It's moving from the 5 to the 6S Plus. I did the math, and it was it's a 71 percent increase in weight so you know not of course the screen is beautiful the phone's beautiful but one of the biggest issues is the the weight increase mm. and and also just the size my hand just can i can hardly get to the left side of it with my right hand if that makes sense with my thumb uh so there's it's hardly any one hand use that i can do so i'm actually considering taking it back this weekend and getting the 6s I was about to ask, are you unhappy with it? You know, there's so much to, I don't want to be a negative Nancy. There's so much to, to be really happy with, but I, I didn't realize how often I used my phone with one hand mm-hmm. until I couldn't use it. Not that I don't like it. It's just Apple can't grow my thumb. You know, they, yeah. they can only do so much. <laughs> the magic only goes so far. Well, you know, a couple of years, maybe they can give me a bionic implant, like on Back to the Future 2, which I watched last night. Did you guys watch <laughs> nice, it yesterday? Nice. I, yeah, no, I watched them on Sunday. I watched all of them. I, I wish I could have. I didn't have time yesterday. But for Back to the Future Day, I wish that I, I felt like a bad nerd that I didn't. You're going to make up for that, TJ? Want to go back in time? Yeah, we can We can get in our DeLorean and go back and fix it. You know, we actually recorded another podcast about those. We're going to have to put those into the show notes. <laughs> yeah, put, it, put our podcast in the show notes, Joe. Pimp it. Why not? So I wanted to talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, Joe, the one-handed use that Joshua was mentioning. I went with the 6S, not the 6 Plus. And even with the 6S, that was up for, I had the 5S previously, which I really liked. That I liked the form factor. I liked the size. I liked everything about it, except 
that I felt like the edges were a little rough on my fingers sometimes, you know, the, how the 5S was with the kind of the harsh edge. Yes, the diamond chamfered edges. Yes, it was a little hard and would cut into your hand if you were using it a lot. Not cut, but you know what I'm saying, just slightly uncomfortable. But that was what I was coming from, and I could get to any part of that screen with one hand, and I never felt like it was too small, and I never felt like I needed a bigger phone. And I don't like huge, big phones. Uh, and even the 6S just feels a little big to me. If I kind of shimmy my hand up and kind of hold it, normally I would keep my, you know, my small finger, my little finger under the phone to kind of support it. But I kind of have to shimmy that up and shimmy everything up to get over to the back button if, or whatever button is up there, which is somewhat mitigated by the fact you can swipe to go back, but not ever, not, not all the time. Sometimes you have to get up there to do stuff. And I just find that a little bit frustrating. With the Plus model, I can't even swipe from the left because I can't reach the left side. And I certainly can't reach the back button, you know, way at the upper left. It's like the worst place to put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and before all your users email me, I know that you can double, not double click, but double tap the home button and get everything to drop down. Even with that, I can't even reach it. It's crazy. I, I just find that awkward. And I find that even worse than just shimmying my hand up and, and getting to it. Like, it's just, it's very awkward. You know, I completely agree with both of you. I had the iPhone 6 and it was not a major reason for upgrading. I wouldn't say it was such a big deal that I wanted to upgrade to a 6S to get away from the large scale, but I had problems. I'd end up double tapping the home screen to bring those icons down so I could reach the top. But that wouldn't work in every case. Sometimes I just wanted to reach up and control, well, swipe down to get notification center. And if you double tapped the home screen, it would not bring down the top of the screen. So you'd still have to bring out your other hand to go to the top to get to notification center, which is like such a first world problem, but who cares? <laughs> That's still a problem. I still would rather just be able to do it with one hand and one thumb all the time. And you can manage that. You know, you just uh, cradle the iPhone 6 or 6S in a certain way, and you can reach the entire space with your thumb if you just want to manipulate it one way or the other. And I, so, yeah, that was a big draw for me. I don't think that, though, that was enough incentive. Like I mentioned last week, the main reason I wanted to upgrade was because it would lower my bill at this time. And that was very appealing to me. Mm, interesting. Yes. The monthly bill would drop by about $20. That's why I got the new phone. And at this time, I realized I don't really know much about the iPhone 6 or 6S form factor because I never used one. But I want to give it a try to see if it would alleviate some of the scale issues I had with the 6 Plus. And what I found was the trade-offs were completely worth it to me, personal preference here. I value being able to manipulate the phone with one hand and the fact that it fits more comfortably into my pocket. Because I'm able to hold it with one hand, I don't feel the need to use a case on my phone because... I, I can handle it better. And the main reason I would want to use a case is because I would occasionally drop it, not intentionally. I mean, like I would be super careful. And just because the six plus was so big, I would think that I could manage it with my fingers one way and I would find I couldn't, I made a mistake and it would slip out of my fingers. Because of that, the iPhone six plus was more of a risk for me. So with the six S I have had it for several weeks now, caseless, and I've not dropped it once. I can go caseless. I like the way that the phone looks. I like this hardware style. I like the rounded edges as uh, just it feels good in the hand. Yes. It feels better to my taste than the chamfered edges. Now, I preferred between the 4, the iPhone 4 and the 5, I liked the way that the 4 felt and I liked the way that the 5 looked. And I think that the 5 to the naked eye was the most appealing, but it wasn't great because it had, you know, all things considered, a rather small display. Now that I'm adjusted <laughs> to the 6s, I really prefer the larger scale. Interesting. I don't mind that Apple didn't create a model of this generation with a smaller display. Since the iPhone 6s came out, no one is complaining that there isn't a smaller phone available. Now, you can still get the 5s. I am. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, you're the first, TJ, that's actually brought this up. I've heard a lot of people talk about these phones, and no one seems to mind now that Apple isn't making an iPhone 5-sized iPhone with newer internals. I, I would have bought that. If they had if they had released an iPhone 6 that was the same size as the iPhone 5s that I previously had, I would have bought that. I'm, it's fine. I've gotten used to it. And now the iPhone 5 does feel small to me, the form factor of the 5. We kept my wife's uh, 5C for the kids uh, because their old the 3GS was just, had just about had it. We kind of use it for an iPod. So when I hold that now, it does feel small. But I was not unhappy with it when I had it. And I feel like this is a little big in my pocket. It, like I said, it's a little hard to reach the corner, even though it's not the plus. I would I would totally have been happy. And, pro and I know that I would have bought the 5 size. 
if, if it had been available. So did you have a positive unboxing experience? Was it notable? Does that strike your fancy anymore, TJ, or are you kind of over it? I always do appreciate Apple's unboxing experience. There are very few products. Occasionally you run across one of their products like, ah, that wasn't up to their standards, but usually Apple products are boxed very well. And it's a, it's a very good experience. Everything is very easy to undo and yet it's very crisp and clean and everything feels nice and tightly packed. And it's a very nice experience. I'm not as into it as I used to be, but I still enjoy the experience and I keep my Apple boxes still, you know, they're, they're in, they're, they're in storage uh, and I look at them once in a while. It's fine. I, I enjoy it. Yeah. I think I'm finally over the hype about the packaging. I still have all of the boxes. I think that they have the best looking boxes around, but when it came to the success, I was so preoccupied with getting all of my data onto the new phone that I really didn't care to look at the packaging all that well. It was so similar to the six plus that it was uh, kind of like just unremarkable. It instantly faded away into the background. So I took my phone out, I take the plastic off of it, I plug it into a, a lightning cable I had on my desktop, and I didn't even bother to get out the other accessories that came in the box. So hmm. I assume they're still in there, and the box is over here on the shelf, nobody's been touching it. But as far as I'm concerned, I never dug deeper into the box beneath the phone just to see. But Apple see, has now been I so... I always get everything out of the box. See, Apple has been so consistent, though, for several years now that I kind of know what to expect is in there. And I have so many spare ear pods and charger cables and things like that. I don't really need to get them out just now. I did the same thing this year. Didn't get anything out other than the phone. And I have, I've noticed in the past, kind of just left them in the box and got them when other ones disappear or, or, or break or whatever. And they're so cheap now. You can get them for, you know, 10 bucks. I've got a lot of spares laying around. So and TJ, in your case, why did you decide to upgrade it this time? Uh, I have consistently upgraded every two years uh, since I started with the iPhone. Um, I got the before and before that I hardly ever upgraded just when my phone would break, I would get a new flip phone or a feature, you know, whatever the free phone was. Ever since the iPhone, I got the first iPhone, I got the 3GS, I got the 4S, the 5S and now the 6S. So that's why I did it. And it was, it was time. I mean, I wasn't unhappy with the 5S, but I, I was, I was feeling the, the need to upgrade. I, you know, obviously not like I wasn't in dire straits like Joshua, but it's like, well, and especially with AT&T's new uh, plans and, and stuff, uh, I was able to upgrade without spending any more money. I didn't have to pay for the phone outright and uh, their pay as you go plans now kind of cover all those costs. And so the, my monthly bill wasn't increasing and I didn't have to pay anything out of pocket. So it just was sort of a no brainer. And so at this point, you're still using the accessories, you're digging into the box, you're getting everything out of there, and you're going to make it last for two years, right? Or do you even use the EarPods? No, no, I do use the EarPods. I did I did finally break out. The, I got them out, but I hadn't opened like the case that the EarPods were in, and I, I actually just put it in my laptop bag in case I needed them. I have my uh, my old pair of EarPods open and, and, you know, in my laptop bag as well. Well, I got them out last night to do something with them at home, and then I forgot them, and I got to work, and I had no earbuds to listen to music while I coded, so I got my new earpods out, and so, yes, I now have them out. You see, I have three or four pairs of earpods floating around the house that I use primarily. Um, nobody else wants to use them after I've used them. No, no, no. Earpods are a personal item. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but the thing is, is, they just fall out of my ears all the time because I apparently I have a large ear canal. And yeah, they just fall out. So I, really? if, I'm, if I'm walking around the house, they'll fall out. If I'm doing any sort of home maintenance, they'll just fall out. If I'm doing the laundry, they'll fall out. Huh. So I got some on-ear Jabber Revo wireless headphones recommended by the wire cutter just because I wanted something better, uh, something that would stay on securely, whether I was exercising or at the desk. And I've used those regularly now for a few years. Loved them so much. I also wanted to try out some Beats headphones. And I got those too, but I like the different headphones for different reasons. So if I have a reason in this context to use the AirPods, I will. But at this point, they're not my favorite earbuds. So just for casual listening, I mean, I know they're not great as far as audiophiles are concerned, but just for casual listening, I love the earpods um, and, and I listen casually all the time because I've always used Apple's earbuds until they would fall apart before the earpods. But, you know, remember how they had like the rubber around the edge and that would always peel off and and I could never keep Apple's old earbuds in my ears. But then when they came out with the earpods, these things actually stay in my ears quite well. They won't if I'm like running or something. I actually have over ear head or they kind of loop around my ears for if I'm jogging or running or biking. But uh, for just casual listening, the earpods are great. I love them. 
I'm actually uh, using the uh, old ear buds, I guess they used to call call them. Uh, the ones I was just talking about were the, the rubber would peel off the ends. Right, right. Well, these, these apparently were the newest ones, so I still have the rubber. But uh, yeah, I just found them in my car when I was cleaning it out. So uh, I couldn't find my other, uh, my other set. So uh, that's what I'm using right now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I kind of hop around whatever I've got laying around. Mm. See, I'm very particular. I, I care a lot about the experience and I just, I'm always thinking about these things that are over top of my head or dangling down my shoulder. I, I'm not very comfortable with wires constantly hitting me, tapping me on the chest or whatever. So I, I'm very fiddly with these devices. Yeah, I, I did uh, get a, a, I guess a Bluetooth headset uh, that, that you recommended on the, I guess it was the wire cutter. It was the, I guess the Jab, Jabba, is that right? Jabra. Jabra. Jab, Jabra. I, the one that I'm using is the Jabra Revo Wireless, and I believe they don't recommend them as the best in class anymore, but they recommend another set of Jabras. Well, whatever it was, it was 100 bucks, and I've only used it <laughs> a little bit, but I've enjoyed them. Let me uh, look it up here. JLab Epic Bluetooth. So that's maybe a different thing. Yeah, I'll send you a link. The The wires like kind of hold onto the back of your ears, so and they, they like stick in your ear. So but I've used it today to gym, and uh, and it worked. Synced up some music on my watch and wanted to leave the phone in the car so it didn't get damaged at the gym or stolen in the in the locker room, and it worked pretty well. So back to the phone then. Uh, do you, either of y'all want to use cases for your phones? Do you feel a need to? Do you think that you'll eventually get one, or do you have one now and kind of wish you could go without it? So I ordered with my iPhone Apple Silicon case. I really, really like it, but I really, really like phones without cases. I never had a, a case on my 5S. I never dropped it. I did get a little bit of scuffing around the antenna edges on the chamfered edge, you know, the diamond chamfered, whatever. And I, I always put a protective cover, a screen on on the front and on the 5S. I put it on the back as well as the 4S. I couldn't find one for the 6S to put on the back. So I, I ordered a case with it. I used it for a couple days and then I took it off and I haven't put it back on. Uh, the other reason I ordered a case was because I knew the camera nubbin would, would annoy me. And it does, but not enough to put the case back on. I really enjoy the experience without the case. Same here. The camera doesn't bug me so much. I got used to it with the six oh. plus. I, yes, oh. I do consider it to be a mistake, but at the same time, I understand that they have their good reasons. No, they don't. I don't think the reasons are good. Well, see, the only solution that I can see is that if they wanted to solve the problem today, they'd have to make the body of the phone larger to be flush with the camera. This touches on all of the areas of that I have problems with this phone on, almost all the areas. And, and I think that Apple's making the wrong trade-offs. I really do. And I, I look, I'm a huge Apple fan. I, I have all app, like all my electronics are Apple that can possibly be. I am a big fan of the Mac. I'm a big fan of OS 10. I'm a big fan of iOS and, and iPhone. But I feel like they're making the wrong trade-offs here. They, did want, they wanted to make the phone thinner, thinner, thinner. And but oh, but then we don't have enough room for the camera lens to be as good as we want it. So we'll just let that little nubbin stick out. But you know what else? If, if they made the phone a little bit thicker, what, what should they fill it with? Battery. And that's another one of the problems that I have. This iPhone gets better battery life than my 5S, no doubt. But it's still a question some days of, if I'm heavily using it, am I going to make it through the day? And if I would have been super happy if the phone were a little heavier, I, under, I understand this. It'd be a little heavier, a little thicker, and it would have great battery life, and the camera nubbin wouldn't be sticking out. That would make me so happy. So happy. Yeah, I do agree about battery life. I missed the battery life for the 6 Plus. It was significantly better. I think I got an average of about an hour and a half more battery life out of that phone than I did with my 5S any day. And now that I'm using the 6S, I kind of miss it too. Thankfully, the internals are still superior to what it used to be. And now with iOS 9, you have the power reserve mode when you get down to, I think it's 20% power. That does help a great deal. I noticed that it slows the phone's operations down a little bit, but not too terribly. It does extend the battery, but yeah, I, I am with you there, TJ. If I ever got a case, the only reason I would would be for the sake of extra battery storage into the uh, into the case body. But right now, all of those cases usually double the weight, and I'm not especially attracted to that. Yeah, I don't want to double the weight. Uh, and, and Apple could just make that back a little thicker and, and, and fill that battery up a little bit more. I, I know there's a lot more engineering that goes into it than that, but they could do it. And it would make me very happy. Uh, the fact that iOS 9 has a low power mode tells me they know there's a problem, but they're just not willing to, to, to do something about it. 
Uh, and I know, again, the 6 Plus, the only reason the 6 Plus tempted me just slightly was because I knew that it had much better battery life. But in the end, I, <laughs> and like I said, the 6S actually has better battery life than the 5S ever did, even new. So that's that's encouraging. Apple's st- stats, I don't think, are any different. Like the 6S is supposed to get the same battery life as the 5S new, but it, it certainly feels like it gets better battery life. Like right now, I'm at 70%. I did plug it in in the car to listen to, mu- uh, to a podcast on the way home. But that's only a 20-minute drive, and it actually charges very slowly, and uh, I'm only at 70%. With the 5S, usually by now, I would be at like 30%. So there's definitely a difference. You know, I, I don't get to use it a whole lot at work, but I get to – I come out and, and play with it, you know, during breaks and uh, and at lunch and stuff. And I pulled up my driveway coming home today, and it was 100%, which it was is, is unusual. So pretty happy with the 6S Plus battery. But, you know, going back to what you guys were talking just a minute ago – I understand the need to keep going thinner and thinner. Um, you know, at the same time, I've always wondered why they don't make a iPhone pro, you know, make it pretty much the same form factor. Just go a lot thicker, give it that battery life that will just really knock people's socks off. Yeah. Give people a split view of the apps on the screen. Yeah. Well, I don't know about split view. Cause of course then you have to have more inches to, to work with. Oh, okay. When I say bigger, I mean like thicker with more battery, Maybe perhaps a, a slight like an X processor or something like that. Yeah, that doesn't sound like something that Johnny Ive has in mind. <laughs> no, I don't think so. It could be just as pretty, just a little thicker for the for the power user. It would be a, a space black all over, kind of like the Mac Pro. <laughs> Maybe. Yes, I like it. They could charge an arm and a leg for it too, just because. It doesn't even need to come with a display. <laughs> <laughs> so I have um, two hardware pet peeves that I would love to cover before we run out of time. So go for it. Okay. You don't like the rose gold? You want them to banish rose gold? <laughs> no, I actually. So so speaking of the rose gold, I actually loved the rose gold, and I was I was thinking about getting it, and and I know I would probably get made fun of or whatever. I wound up going with the space gray. I'm so close to it. I, I'm so close to going rose gold. I love it. I think it looks beautiful. This is the strangest conversation ever. I did not expect <laughs> it to go this way. <laughs> I love the rose gold. It's it's bros gold. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fantastic. I, I, I do feel like people would probably make fun of me. You know, the, the girly comments would come out. And I'm trying to still figure out if that's even an insult. But uh, <laughs> so um, so I, I got the space gray as I, I usually do. I, I chickened out and went with the space gray. That's, that's my deal default. So my um, my pet peeves that left that I haven't talked about are, and this is the biggest one, is the power button placement. I do not understand the power button placement uh, on, on two levels. The first level is that it breaks seven years of muscle memory. I think, is it seven? It's been seven since the iPhone was raised. So my muscle memory tells me to go up to the top, and even now, I will still reach up for the top. I will shimmy up and reach up for the top and, and try to turn it off. Now, I understand that because of the largeness of the phones, they wanted to move it. So this brings me to my other pet peeve. I still have to shimmy my my thumb up there and and kind of hold it weird to get to the lock button. I I can't do it without shimmying up. It's just poorly placed. So they broke my muscle memory and they didn't help help anything. They didn't fix any any problems because it's still way too high. So and and then when I go to take a picture, I am forever pressing the power button when I'm trying to hit the the uh, volume button to sh- to click the shutter. Yeah. it is a terrible, terrible place. It is truly the worst thing about this phone is the placement of the power button. When you say the power button, you mean the sleep button, right? <laughs> I, I do. I, I keep calling it the power button. I mean, technically, it is. I, I know what you, I know what you mean because it also controls the power if you want to shut it down. Yeah, it's it's the it's the sleep wake button. I think is what Apple calls it. The lock button, whatever you want to call it. No, okay, yeah, I see your point. I guess I'm a little bit more ambidextrous. I I use both hands like you know spider fingers, you know, just uh, crawling all over the phone to handle it any kind of way I need to. Ambidextrous doesn't have anything to do with it, Joe. It's, I beg your pardon. It doesn't have anything to do with it at all. You try squeezing the uh, the shutter button on the camera, and, and and you have to carefully move your thumb one way or the other, and it just you have to be careful with it. Exactly. It's dumb. It's it's a terrible placement. I'm not quite as passionate, but I do agree that it's not a good location. I have shut off my phone several times trying to take pictures. It's terrible. Interesting. Or at least the thing they, they, they could do is that while you were holding the phone in landscape and you were using the button for the shutter, maybe they deactivate the sleep-wake button. I think they actually do that because I very rarely shut off the phone. It's usually if I accidentally somehow get the power button clicked before the, the shutter button clicks. 
but even so, it, it throws me every time it happens. I'm like, oh, did I just? And then I gotta check it. Did I turn it off? Did I? What did I do? And it's just, it's, it's just terrible experience. And and if they had moved it, like even right in the middle, right where the just a little bit lower than the SIM card, I'm, I'm right now. I'm holding my phone. Like that is naturally where my thumb falls. And a lot of people, I, I feel like that would be the case. Like that's the place for that button. I don't know. Well, for the sake of time, then, well, I'll highlight something that we really love about the phone and also allow for Joshua and I to say one of our pet peeves. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm really bugged about the effectiveness of peep can pop right now because these are very useful sort of power user features. If you think about them, if you remember them, and if they respond correctly by your touch, and if you're pressing it just right so that you didn't press it too hard, and you, or if you didn't press it so lightly that now you start making all of the apps on the home screen to jiggle as if you wanted to rearrange the display. Finding the fine line between peaking and popping and just being ineffective at all with the touch is, um, is something that we have to learn. And I like the idea. I love the feel of it. I'm always playing with it. But I haven't found myself going to the camera and getting a quick selfie or getting to the message that I, that I want to use, the last thread that I was in, by using the quick actions, by using 3D Touch to get to those functions. I haven't quite used it a whole lot from the home screen, you know, where you force touch the, or 3D Touch the icons. If you're force touching the app icon, then it calls up the quick actions menu. Okay. Right. If you're inside of an app and you want to pull up a peek of, say, a text file in the Notes app, or peek at a, a an email in your email inbox, then pressing on it halfway gives you the peak, and pressing it all the way gives you the pop. Right. I've not I've not used it a whole lot in, in like mail. I, I don't I don't really see the the point of that. I would use it maybe if if in the peak you could kind of scroll a little bit, but you can't. Like as soon as you leave go, it disappears. But yeah, I'm not, I like it. I think it's just going to take a lot of relearning. Yeah, there's a learning curve. It's a good thing to learn, but there is a learning curve there. Yeah. So I have a tip in regards to Force Touch or Force 3D Star Wars Touch, um, and that is in settings you can actually lower the sensitivity so that you can it'll it'll happen faster. Like you don't have to push as hard. Let's just call it George Lucas Touch. Okay, let's do that. So you, there's actually a setting where you can you can make it more sensitive so that it doesn't take as hard of a push to activate. And I actually find it much, much more pleasant to use that way. Hmm. I mostly use it from the home screen. I have, so I use Lose It. To, right now I'm on a diet trying to lose weight since I got back from my, I've, I've been on and off. And I actually use Lose It to lose 30 pounds. So, but if you force touch on the Lose It icon on the home screen, you can log food, you can log exercise, or you can record weight from the quick actions menu. I find that very useful. Uh, so I mostly use it from the home screen. If I accidentally unlock the phone, because that's the other thing, is it's so fast to unlock when you when you hold your thumb to it. Then I will force or force touch the camera or 3D touch. I get confused about which one's which now. <laughs> but um, I will force 3D uh, George Lucas touch the camera and uh, click take photo or whatever. So I'm 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 pretty happy with it. I don't use the peak and pop very much, but mostly because like I don't use mail. I use uh, Google Inbox and it doesn't support any 3D touching yet. I use it occasionally in messages or sometimes with uh, Instagram. Sometimes I like to just click over there and browse and because it'll give you recommendations based on your friends and who you follow and stuff. So that, that's useful, but I haven't used it as much. It's mostly the home screen. Okay, so Joshua, what bugs you? Um, you know, I think I've pretty much just touched on the, the size issue and the weight issue. I mean, it's with a case, it's almost twice as much <laughs> as my iPhone 5 was. So you're going to keep a case on it when you go to the 6S? <sighs> I typically have not used a case. Sometimes I'll use it for the first few months just to kind of keep it, you know, and then after the first scratch, you just go, okay, well, whatever, and take it off. So we'll see. The last thing I'll say about this phone that I really do enjoy is just how snappy all the processing is. It's a fast device. Mm -hmm. Yep. So whether you're using the Touch ID or you're just popping open an app or creating a new tab, if you're loading a web page, if you're just connecting to the Wi-Fi, everything is much faster. I appreciate that all across the board. Apps don't ha uh, crash when you're using the multitasking app switcher. And that's that's like a big deal. I mean, I remember going all the way back to my first iPhone through the 6 Plus. I'd experience crashes doing the smallest of things. So that's what I'm noticing that I love most. I mean, like if even I go into the app switcher right now and I start flicking away some apps to make them close, they all flick away and they're gone. They're out. They're quitting just like that. 
I remember the last app switcher was kind of clunky where you would swipe it, it would have to think about it, then it would make the app go away, and then it would let you swipe another. Mm-hmm. Right now I can just go foom, 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 foom. And every one of those fooms represents an app that's just closed. I mean, it's amazing. The fact that it works as fast as my thumb can move. Now, uh, I agree with you that I love the speed of the phone. Very buttery smooth. Everything is, is like, like I don't notice any lag on anything I do ever. I wanted to talk to you about this problem you have where you, wait, you, you close apps, but you're not supposed to do that, Joe. You know what? I don't really need to now anymore because like I said, nothing is crashing, nothing is lagging, and I don't feel like bugginess is just pervasive throughout the operating system. And sometimes it was one of those things where it's like, if you go into mail and you tap on a mail message and it doesn't open up, either you have to shut the whole phone off and start it up again, or you close the mail app, go back in there, tap on the app and uh, sorry, tap on the mail message and now it'll let you open it. I mean, I saw this sort of thing happen to my in-laws on their phone. Interesting. They were, yeah, they would use the iPhone day in and day out. And my mother-in-law would point out, hey, Joe, right now I cannot create a new email. I press this button and nothing happens. And I would say, okay, go to the multi-app switcher. And now you have to quit the mail app and try it again. And it would just never occur to her that that should solve the problem, but it would. And I would experience those kinds of problems every now and then myself, usually with the podcast apps that I was experimenting with. I would do something that I think the developers had not accounted for, like maybe switching from a playlist to the speedback controls back to the settings in just such a manner, which was a a pathway that would introduce a bug. And then when I would do that, I hit play and the entire app would crash, started it again, and it would crash again. So I'd have to like restart the phone or something to clear the cache. Interesting. I've, I've never really experienced that with iPhone. I mean, occasionally an app would be like acting weird and I would force quit it, but I, I just get so frustrated when I see people like habitually, they'll use an app and then they'll swipe up and, and, and quit it. And it's like, you're actually making things worse. The iPhone's not designed to do that. I agree. It was, I agree. It was designed so that the apps would behave themselves in the background they would they would pause and freeze and then they're immediately available when you come back and so it actually takes more battery to quit the app and then relaunch it every time you need it so it's just just frustrating okay so the reason i think that this happened more often in the past for me was because i didn't usually have enough free space in my storage i would use more well you know i'd get down to the point that i had less than two gigabytes of storage left available on the internal storage and that was just sort of a practice that they do not recommend if you got a 64 gigabyte model, you should be able to use good 60 gigabytes of it. Right. But it does help the whole phone to just operate better if you leave a few gigabytes empty. Then the other thing was that the 6 Plus, because uh, the way that iOS 8 would function with that large display that had more pixels and it had to handle more bits of resolution all the time, with one gigabyte of RAM, the 6 Plus was handicapped. And so apps would often crash simply because of the GPU performance. Hmm, interesting. And so without the extra gigabyte of RAM, which came with the 6S generation, the 6 Plus was just crashing simply because it couldn't keep enough going on a regular basis as fast as your thumbs could move. I will say I have a glorious 35 gigabytes available of free space on my phone, which <laughs> I've never had that much free space ever because like my previous phone wasn't even that big. Hmm. So... This is the 68 gigabyte model, and it is glorious. I lived in the settings app, part of the settings where you'd have to delete apps and and things like that in my last phone because I had like 12 gigs. Yeah, I've got like 33-ish, something like that too, and it's it's great. So I just wanted to to mention that uh, I I really like the Taptic vibrating engine. The the 5S always felt kind of weak to me, and I would very often miss it vibrating in my pocket if I needed to get a call or someone was texting me urgently trying to get a hold of me. This one I have yet to miss, even though it, it feels more subtle, but I always feel it. It's it's very interesting. It feels more distinct. Yes, yes. I really enjoy that. The 6 Plus had the opposite problem. It would shake and make so much racket that you think it was going to shake right out of your hand. This one is far more distinct. It just feels characteristic of what you want it to do in the first place. Yeah, I've noticed it has, like when it's ringing, it has a very uh, different pattern. Like it goes... You know, and and I don't know if I'm making that thing correctly, but like it has a long and then a short. It's very, it it gets your attention without being obnoxious. Same thing with the peak and pop. Press it just right. You'll get a different sort of response from the Taptic engine, whether or not the quick actions menu is available 
or if you can call up the quick actions or if you're peeking and popping. So yeah, it's, yeah, I, I like what they're doing. It's a better implementation. It's, it's giving you feedback that we haven't experienced before. Yep, for sure. All right. Anything else, guys? I hope I've, I've conveyed that I like this phone because I, I really do. <laughs> you, you've been a little hypercritical, but that's good. <laughs> that, that's me. A little Sarah Kirsten. But the last thing that I'll be hypercritical of is not the phone itself. I don't, I don't have this problem because I don't have the 16 gigabyte phone, but why the heck is Apple still selling a 16 gigabyte phone? That, just, that, that is just wrong. They should not be. You know, a lot of people are saying that. I utterly agree. And thankfully, anyone who recognizes this to be an issue is just not buying the 16 gigabyte model. So it cannot possibly affect you. So, but my problem is, no, it will affect me because people I know will buy it and they'll be like, I don't understand. Like this phone is doing, like you were saying earlier, it's running out of, it's doing this thing and it, saying it's out of space. And I don't know, like it, in, in, in Apple's upping the, you know, the uh, megapixels of the, of the things it's taking live photos. It's, it's just frustrating that they're still selling a 16 gigabyte phone. It makes no, it, it's not good for customer sat. Right. And Tim is all about customer sat. I don't understand. Especially if you use photos and sync it up with the cloud and all of that. Like right now I've got nine gigs worth of photos on it. And I don't know like exactly what photos are on there. I'm not <laughs> sure what takes that much, but I'm just saying if I had a 16 gig, like that would be like well over half of my space just on photos. The OS is supposed to be smart about optimizing that storage. If you're using iCloud photos, it's not. It's not though. I mean, I, I was using <laughs> it on my five, and then I just had to turn it off because it just kept growing. Yeah, and there was no way. There was no way to clear it out. The 16 gigabyte just doesn't seem like the experience Apple Apple wants to to have. I, I don't understand why they're still doing it. And I feel like I, I really. This is the first time I've said this and meant it. I really feel like if Steve Jobs were still alive, this would not be. This would not happen. I really. <laughs> I really think he would have axed it by now. I think they must have just purchased like one trillion chips <laughs> and they just have to use them up. Yeah, maybe so. I think that's the bad side of Tim Cook. I feel like he's been good for the most part, but he's got a little bit too much operations thinking in there. He's thinking of the efficiencies and they've been using the 16 gigabyte chips for this long. And, and now that, you know, the margins and all this stuff. And I think that it's just, he's just pushing it a little too far. So friends do not let friends buy 16 gigabyte iPhones. No. Point well made. <laughs> well thank you tj for coming on the show again where would you like people to find you online oh let's see i i, I don't know how many of the people that listen to this show would be interested in my web development work and my add-ons for expression engine but it's really the only place where i am right now as far as a website so it's buzzingpixel.com if not you can just go in and enjoy the design i i designed that site and i, I think it looks nice right. so buzzingpixel.com what was the wordpress theme you used for that Joshua, I am no longer friends with you. You you can just uh, go die in a fire. Uh, <laughs> I will send you the emoji for dying in a fire later. I think iOS 9.1 has a middle finger emoji. It it does. I will send that to you as well. <laughs> I, I don't know what that's doing there. Well, this is going to end Tectonic 29, 29S. We're so glad that you could join us. If you don't already have them, you can find the show notes with the links in them at tectonic.fm slash 29. And if you're looking for us on Twitter, TJ is at TJ Draper Pro. I am underscore Joe Darnell. And my co-host is Joshua Pfeiffer. The show is Tectonic FM. And if you'd like to send us a private message, uh, give us your feedback. Tell us what you'd like us to discuss in another episode. That You can email those to hello at tectonic.fm. And if you want to do us a huge favor, then check out the show on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. I'm Joe Darnell. Thanks a bunch for listening to the Tectonic Podcast. Podcast.